This is The Top, where I interview entrepreneurs who are number one or number two in their industry in terms of revenue or customer base. You'll learn how much revenue they're making, what their marketing funnel looks like, and how many customers they have. I'm now at $20,000 per talk. Five and six million. He is hell-bent on global domination. We just broke our 100,000 unit soul mark. And I'm your host, Nathan Latka. This is a new episode, 687. Coming up tomorrow morning, we'll talk to Joseph May. He had four kids when he quit his job to launch a leather briefcase company called Breton. Tune in tomorrow to see how he juggles it all. All right, guys, good morning. Nathan Lackey here. My guest this morning is Jeremy Ozen. He's the president and co-founder of a company called this star media he was born he was previously at goldman sachs european special situations group in london monitoring a portfolio of venture investments today uh, and he also has a bas in material science engineering and a bsc in finance from the university of pennsylvania jeremy are you ready to take us to the top let's do it all right good so tell us first what does the company do and kind of what's your revenue model how do you make money um so what we do is we've connected technology to the software that runs digital billboards and similar types of screens that you might see. So you drive down the highway, you see a billboard from a company like Clear Channel Lamar. We've built technology that connects into their systems and we're able to serve ads onto those screens. And we make money by selling the technology or the ads to advertisers or their agencies. And that's actually an interesting time. So we've got the channel advisor CEO actually coming up in two days on the show. So help us understand the relationship there. Are you paying them a, a cut to be able to serve ads on those platforms or what's the relationship? Um, yeah, I mean, we pay, we pay the media owners to have access to their platform and then we charge the advertising agencies fees to use our technology or if we're doing it on their behalf and they don't use it directly then we charge them incremental fees for our own management of the technology and are you taking that financial risk do you pay a flat fee regardless if you sell or not and then just hope your technology is better and you sell more than what they could have done to make up the cost um it's an interesting question we don't actually really ever have risk on the inventory because the system is a real-time system okay. so with other media like Google and Facebook, where you have real-time buying of ad inventory, our system operates the same way. So we don't actually buy it up front. We only buy it when we when we need it to fulfill on behalf of the client. Okay. And then give me an example. So I'm in, we're in Austin, Texas, right? So there's a billboard down here in Austin, Texas run by, by, by these guys. I mean, are you, I imagine you're not buying billboard by billboard. I mean, how do you purchase this kind of space? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, so our technology connects just the digital ones. Um, we have access to whatever inventory they make available to us. So it's typically what they haven't sold through their sales team. And the extra special sauce that we add that I didn't mention is that we use data, um, which is actually very timely with everything going on with the FCC and the telecoms, but we use data from telecoms, um, specifically the location data of consumers to analyze where people are throughout the day. And so we use that data to inform which billboard to buy and when. So we're not, oh, wow. we're physically not picking billboard by billboard. Um, that's sort of the old school called manual process. We use data to inform which billboard and that can change. You know, if we're looking for, you know, high tech people in the Austin area, maybe they're in downtown during one time of the day and they're, you know, by Lake Austin at another time of the day. And we're using the data from the telecom operators to inform that. That's interesting. So I want to ask some questions in a second about kind of where this where this 
dump of excess inventory is by these digital billboard guys that it sounds like you're buying from i imagine there's a marketplace or something there and then we'll dive more into the business but first man tell us more about your story i mean it sounds like you know if you're working in finance uh you've got a pretty good gig going why give that up uh yeah my he's smiling kind of... big for those of you not watching the video he's got this big old grin right now right <laughs> Well, because the funny thing is that in the bio, I, you know, I'll have to walk you through everything. So I, I started at Goldman at a group called the European Special Situations Group, which was like a totally silly name. Like you had to like get off an elevator and it was totally James Bond, to like walk like a different room that was separated from the rest of Goldman. And it was in London. Um, and it, it like didn't even fit across the door. It was like European and then special situations and then group. Um, what is was, a special situation? So for them, I mean, Goldman was split into two groups, the one that bought and sold stocks. So that was the, um, the like principal strategies. And we did literally everything else. So principal, like special situations was we bought companies, we made VC investments. We bought, um, like we would buy like airplanes in like the nine 11 uh, downturn. Like the, actually that's one of the ways they started was like buying distressed assets. Oh, interesting. Um, the things that were not in favor, but it had to be, it had to be something outside of a stock that you could buy or sell. So that was that group. And I did that for about two years. Um, and then I actually went from there to a hedge fund based in Monaco, um, which is the part where I'm laughing because like you have to like walk through a number of steps to get to how say, we started. You sound company. like you're popping out um, of a movie right now, a hedge fund in Monaco. My, my brain goes crazy with James Bond and cute girls and it was an interesting place to live. I mean, difficult to live there when you're 23 years old for a long period of time. Um, but it was certainly fun. And um, so I, I mean, I had an interesting time working there, but the, there was a point where I sort of decided that a company is certainly a lot more than what you can put onto an Excel spreadsheet. And I kind of got fed up with that. And I just thought like, I'm, you know, I have a beautiful view sitting in this office, looking at the Mediterranean and I could probably do this the rest of my life. But it's not really, um, it's not really, I think, my calling. Um, and I had become friends with some entrepreneurs in uh, Monaco. I mean, obviously, it's a place where people go to avoid taxes. And so you, um, you, know, you have a certain a clientele, let's call it, that lives there. Um, and there was one guy in particular who was, uh, became a close friend of mine. And he um, had a very successful business in Poland, um, which was basically a retail business. And, um, you know, I spent some time with him and, uh, and over time I sort of came to understand he didn't really start anything from scratch that was totally new. He took things that he knew worked and reapplied it. And so the business in Poland was the biggest bookstore chain, um, one of the largest clothing retailers in Poland. Okay. And what he was, was basically taking us based concepts and making them work. Um, in Eastern Europe and Poland was the country that he was doing it in. Jeremy, I'm real quick going to pull that lesson out because there's so many people that have this idea that they can't share their idea because it's going to be some unique idea and that's going to make them rich. And I just tell people, copy like hell, find something working, copy it and out execute. A hundred percent. That's a hundred percent. So he was, he basically took, he was a Barnes and Noble and then like that evolved into other things. Obviously Barnes and Noble's tricky business today. But um, so I said, okay, you took something in one geography, reapplied it in another geography. And I really like this concept. I wasn't, I, I didn't think I'm not an inventor. I'm not going to come up with like the new thing that no one's ever thought of. But if we know something works in one place and you can be kind of innovative enough to think that it can apply somewhere else. Um, 
And I think there's opportunity there. And there's less risk because you're not starting something totally from scratch. So this is what you left and that's this is how you started your company? Basically, the, so I was I I was actually doing a little bit of work for, for this guy in particular um, in 2011. And you were how old at this point? 24, 25? I was probably 24. Okay. Um, and then I started... I mean, I have a very good friend of mine from school, a guy named Michael Provenzano, who was part of a company that was bought by Google in 2010. And they did, um, they were one of the first online advertising companies to do what they call programmatic advertising, basically the real-time buying of, of ads on websites. Yep. Uh, so 2011, I'm sort of working for this guy, flying to Warsaw, flying to different places, like kind of doing projects for him, and also thinking about you know what idea I can potentially start that like leverages this concept of take take in one spot, move to another spot. Um, and as I understood from my friend Michael, who had sort of explained to me exactly what their company did um, that was bought by Google, I came to this re- realization that. What they did for online advertising was eventually going to happen for all advertising because they call it programmatic. They use lots of these terms. I don't know who else has been on your show from the ad tech space, um, but it becomes very complicated and convoluted. But if you distill it, it was just using data and technology to make the ads more efficient. Yep. Uh, remember, I was still a finance guy, so I thought, okay, if it took 40 years for the world of finance to go from like crazy guys on the floor of the New York Stock Exchange with tickets to like hedge funds with um, with algorithms you know that that world happened faster than the media world because you know i think there's a lot of reasons that money will flow into the markets to get more efficiency faster than media world but eventually it'll happen into the media world as well and so at a certain point i thought okay i have a friend michael who knows the advertising marketplace really well knows this programmatic trend really well that seems like a really good long-term opportunity. They did it in online advertising, but hell, there's all all other forms of advertising out there. Um, and then I just started looking around and um, sort of happened upon the out-of-home space as one that literally everyone had just ignored, like the time had just passed it by. Um, and so, sorry, Jeremy passed started, what by? The technology, like any form of innovation or technology, had just totally totally ignored the out of home space Oh, um, out of home. Got it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. look, the challenging thing, I, I hope you get to this in a second. I mean, the challenging thing about this online is easy because you can use real time programmatic kind of banner advertising and, and tie it all back to a cookie, right? The hard part is the data collection and data access when you start talking about real world digital billboards. But it sounds like you get that data from telecoms, which allows you to look at the phones and then kind of bucket people and then show those ads real time. It's fascinating. Yeah, I mean, okay, so you're 100% fluent in ad tech. So the when we started, we basically said, okay, the, the out-of-home advertising space is growing in terms of how much is digital. Um, we think that programmatic is going to take over every other form of advertising. Eventually, there's an interesting opportunity to build a business here. And to be totally honest, it was really hard. So the things that make programmatic and online easy are the it's kind of much more standardized. standardized out of home was not because there was no one in it before us. And so we had to start working with every media owner, yeah. explaining them how to integrate with our system. You know, the idea of programmatic in 2012 when we started was totally foreign to them. Like the out of home guys had, were like really completely separated from the rest of the advertising ecosystem. And Jeremy, 2012 was launch date for the company? Yeah, January okay. 2000. And had you, yeah. just to be quick, I want to get in your in your mind a little bit when you launch this kind of your psyche, your life. Uh, were you still single? Were you single or married? Do you have kids when you started? 
I was single. I mean, I was in 2011, I was working from LA, um, from an apartment, uh, living with my cousin. That was okay. pretty cool. Then we moved to Philly. I was, uh, Michael and I slept on, um, aero mattresses in an office, which was, um, like a house sort of in Philadelphia. Um, yeah, I mean, I had no, are you one of these guys? that's a big spender though. You like nice things or had you saved up a bunch of your money from these high paying jobs so that if you launched this company, it failed, you still had a nice nest egg to fall back on. Um, I would say there's a dichotomy. I certainly do like nice things. Um, I think any employee in our, if they, uh, if they watch this, they would, uh, if I said no, they would say there was a total liar. bullshit. Yeah. Total bullshit. But I'm also totally comfortable, like sleeping on an aero mattress yep. for six months. Yep. Um, so I think maybe it's it's like I I pick and choose where. Um, That's smart. So 2012 is launch date, and then fast forward us today. How many employees are you at? Oh man, I think we're 55. And bootstrapped, or have you raised capital? I would I would call us bootstrapped. We raised a half a million dollar fund around raise of money in 2012, early 2012. Then 2013, we raised 1.5 million, but that was it. Okay, and um, was that a convert? Was that a convertible note or an equity round? Both were convertible notes. Okay, so you still you still haven't had a price round. Those guys still haven't converted. We have right. We have not raised a Series A price round, and we're not going to raise a Series A price round because you know, last year we did five point five million of EBITDA, so uh, we're generating. Cash. And what was what was that on on top line? Um. So you know, in advertising for us, there's gross and net. I mean, so gross, it's about twenty million. Okay. Um. So. Like, you know, you, Jeremy, do you put what you pay for the right to this digital billboard real estate? Do you put that above the line or below the line? That would be um, that would be above. The so line. it's a cost of goods sold, basically. Yeah. OK, what are your other? So going from the 20 million down to five, tell me what's in that chunk. What are your like, biggest expenses in there? Um, so it's like, you know, going from 20 to to our gross margin, which is like 12 is the cost of media and such like and things like that. Okay. Um, then, then the rest is, uh, the data that we buy. Um, we do a lot of work with measurement partners. So the measurement third parties, um, hosting through AWS is a, is a chunk and then, um, rent and employees is got the, it. You know, so just to put this in one little bucket for people to understand. So on a dollar, a top line revenue, you've got 12 cents on cost of goods sold. That's buying the ability to put your media up. And then under that, you've got about another, uh, we'll take it down to 25%. So you've got about, you know, 60% in there. That is just, you know, head count, uh, office space, et cetera. And then you're, you're taking about a quarter of a percent or about 20 cents down to the bottom line. Is that right? Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, 20, 25% is EBITDA. So. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, great. That makes good sense. Now let me ask you a question. You're a finance dude. I mean, you're always looking at your P and L going, how do I juice returns? I imagine you could pretty easily eliminate that 12% kind of payment you have to make for this media. If you just did like a big round and, and bought out some of these larger folks that own billboard digital billboard companies, have you thought of that? And is that something you'd ever do? Um, no, once we were walking through the San Francisco airport with a, a guy who was working at the company in sales at the time. And I was like, you know what we should do? We should, we should buy Outfront. And Outfront is the old CBS outdoor business, which is a publicly traded $2 billion company. Yep. And I was, I was like, we can make so much more yield on their inventory. We yep. should go buy. He was like, that's great. That's amazing. And I was then like, that idea basically died in the San Francisco airport. Why? Uh, 
I mean, I mean, at that time we were, we were like 3 million of revenue. And so like, it was, you know, just like a random idea that came into my mind and then, and then left like a lot of ideas that have, um, but so to, there's, I think there's a big difference in our model in terms of capital, um, required versus the billboard guys. You know, if you install a billboard that costs like $250,000, they're more in the real estate game. And we're in the software, technology, sales, and marketing game. Um, there's a lot more capital efficiency to it. Um, it. It would be like a totally crazy and awesome move to like raise a billion dollars and go buy like the Billboard players. But which I feel yeah, like you could do. Maybe in this market. I mean, you know, um, you know Monaco, right? There's five trillion sitting there, right? Yeah. As long as it doesn't get taxed, it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I think that the um, that in you know, in some ways, I like to describe us as the biggest billboard company in the U.S. because we, in fact, have all of these partners that we work with that are on their own, you know, certainly big players like Lamar, Clear Channel, Outfront, then, you know, guys in, in places like airports and office buildings. But we connect to all of them. So in some sense, we're like a virtual out-of-home network mm-hmm. with all of this all of this inventory. And going and spending a huge amount of cash to, to spend on CapEx is, you know, sort of ruins the— the beauty of our model. Look at how much, how little we've raised. And but you're making them more money. Like, I don't know what the measurement is like per digital foot of like digital billboard. Your yield is higher than ads. They run themselves. Correct. Um, we, so, you know, they, we're yes, because they're bringing, we're bringing in new money onto their screens that they weren't selling themselves. And so they have the direct sales effort and we have our effort. That's bringing in new dollars. Um, I don't 100% know if, the rate at which we sell is a higher rate than they're selling on their own. Got it. Um, so you don't know if you have the leverage to be able to call up the CEO of Channelizer and go, look, we're, can- we're our contracts with you, which which span all your billboards 100% across the country. We're canceling unless you give us 10% of the business. Like you don't think you have that leverage yet. It's also not necessary. I mean, because we're the only player that does programmatic out of home. So, you know, as long as we're a good partner with all of them and we make them money and it grows every year. The pie is so big. I mean, it's a seven billion dollar market. The digital part is about. What's the seven billion part? That's just total money spent on billboards annually. Yeah, yeah. Okay, interesting. Yeah, the digital part's like two. It's growing like twenty five percent per year. So, Jeremy, last question here before we wrap up. Um, how old are you now? Thirty. Thirty one. Thirty one. He had to think about that. Thirty one. So your your EBIT does five million. Uh, you could choose to just make this a lifestyle business and just print money for yourself. If that's the case, I'm curious where you're investing the money personally to grow your personal wealth. I think it's always an interesting question for entrepreneurs. Or if it's not the case, um, why are you so confident just taking all that money and plowing it back into your business? Um, I mean, I think that, first of all, the um, when we started this, we actually thought we were building like sort of like a VC tech business. I don't know that we think about it as a lifestyle business just because we're profitable. I mean, it doesn't necessarily make a lifestyle business. I think we do hope for an ex- a big exit to uh, Google or Verizon one day. Um, and so, you know, we build the business to, to have some form of exit at some point. Um, the way that we think about it is, you know, we haven't taken dividends or like don't take huge salaries. Um, because, you know, the dollars in our pocket today are, you know, sort of a waste. If we can spend that money and hire more engineers or more salespeople and EBITDA is now 10 next year instead of seven, you know, we just grew enterprise value a lot and we all own a big portion of the company. And so each dollar plowed back into the business is worth it. 
Um, and I guess the best way to grow your your value normally is through growing your business because you don't know anything. You know, anything else is going to be much riskier proposition of cash spent. If we mm-hmm. took a bunch of cash out, what would we do with it? Yep. You know, yeah, no, that's, that's exactly why I ask. Uh, you mentioned you keep your salary low. What do you pay yourself? Huh. Uh, 50K per year. Really? Wow. Okay. Interesting. I, I was I was thinking you might say like 150 or something. I was going to grill your ass and be like, that's that's a lot. So 50K, that's that's really low. Where And yep. where are you living? In New York. What? Okay. Yeah. So you, you've got some, you've got some savings. You're also kind of supplementing that. Or are you just good at living, living, living on a little, right? Uh, yeah, they're not, not commenting on certain elements of it, but yeah, I yeah, yeah. All right. Too profligate. Yeah. Good stuff. Jeremy, what do you do? What's your goal? 2017 in terms of EBITDA? 10. So guys, I'm so glad to be back in Austin. I just got back from a major tour of Southeast Asia, went to Sydney, Bangkok, Bali, and Japan. And you know, I always get sick when I travel. And this particular trip, my gosh, 15 different airports, 20 different hotels. I mean, imagine flushing in airport bathrooms. I was worried about germs and getting all the nutrition I need. I mean, finding a restaurant in Japan, difficult because nothing's in English. So it was hard enough to figure out the train system. But my point is, I had a guy named Drew Cannoli on the show who said, Nathan, if you're concerned about that, take these little green packets with you. You just mix them once per day with water. They'll keep you super healthy. You get all your nutrients and they'll keep you from getting sick. So I took them and guys, they worked unbelievably well. I got no sickness, just mixed them with water once per day. They didn't make my water bottles all sticky. That's like nice. A lot of these mixers, they make them sticky. It was very clean and smooth. Took them once per day, never got sick. So they've got 11 superfoods. And they're perfect if you're not traveling, but you're just on the go from your office to work. So you can check them out at nathanlatka.com forward slash juice. That's nathanlatka.com forward slash juice. 10, nice. All right, guys, let's wrap up here. Uh, Jeremy with the Famous Five. Number one, what's your favorite business book? Ooh. Oh, wait, I know you want to go quickly, but I've read so many. Take your time. Uh, Sam Walton's biography was pretty badass. This guy. That one. Yeah, that one with his hat. It's awesome. I totally agree with you. You guys can see. I don't know if you guys can see in the screen. This was like I got this on some back shelf for like five eighty eight. And I'm like, this is going to be a shit book. And I opened it and I read it in one sitting. It was unbelievable. I read it on a beach in like in like a day. Yeah, it's it's one of those. It's amazing. Tons of lessons in there. Uh, number two, what's your uh, is there a CEO you're following or studying right now? Um. I love the the three G guys, the Brazilian guys. Um, I don't know if they're actually the CEOs of their businesses. John Paul George or, or whatever his name was. He partnered with Warren Buffett on the Heinz deal. Yeah, yeah. Those guys are 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 interesting. Let's put it that way. Number three is their favorite online tool you have, like Acuity scheduling. My Gmail calendar. Number four. How many hours of sleep do you get every night? Only seven. Okay, good. And current situation, you said you're 31. Are you married, single? Do you have kids? Uh, I have a girlfriend. Okay. No No kids. All right, so last question. Take us back 11 years. What do you wish your 20-year-old self knew? (laughs) Um, I wish I wish I had known to not take life so seriously. At which, like, right when you were 20, jumping into those big jobs? Yeah, and that not everything is the end of the world. Yep. 
Guys, there you have it from Jeremy. Not everything is the end of the world. He's launched his company uh, again back several years ago. Now over 50 people. They've raised about 1.5 to 2 million bucks in kind of convertible uh, convertible notes. Again, focused on helping uh, these big, big billboard companies get higher yield or just more effective digital advertising. He has partnerships with telecoms, which helps him understand where certain kind of consumers are. And that helps inform what ads he's showing. The business is super healthy. Last year did about $5 million in EBITDA on 20 million gross. If you break that down on every on every dollar or 100 bucks top line, they've got 78 uh, that's gross and about 20 that's going down to EBITDA on the bottom line. Uh, again, super healthy goal this year in 2017 is due $10 million in EBITDA. Team of 50 folks paying himself 50 grand. Humble CEO, right? Jeremy, thank you for taking us to the top. Thank you. If you enjoyed Jeremy today, go back and listen to Danny yesterday. Danny has raised $225 million and he's a data-focused ex-Israeli fighter pilot. His company is called Kaminario. You want to catch that episode because it could be the next big tech IPO. It would mean the world to me if you guys got any value from this episode, if you would go leave a review on iTunes right now and then subscribe. You know, I hustle like heck to get these episodes out every freaking day for you guys. And trust me, I love it. I would do it with no listeners. But boy, oh boy, it makes my day and it makes my team's day when we see great reviews and get your feedback. So thanks so much. Okay, Top Tribe, I love giving away free money. I feel like Oprah giving away cars and I have something special for you today. How many of you have heard our super sharp guests talk about success they've had with Facebook and Google ads? Well, all of you listening right now, yes, if you're listening, you get $100 in free AdWords. Here's how you get it. Okay, again, thanks for listening. Get the free $100 from Google, right, when you sign up with my website host provider, HostGator. Go sign up now to get your free money. HostGator.com forward slash Nathan. Again, that's HostGator.com forward slash Nathan.